Welcome in everyone to episode 129 of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damon here with Matt and David. Uh, and this week we're going to kind of do a trade a season primer, uh, hit some miscellaneous stuff and go over some injury news that we've had happen over the past week. Uh, but before we jump into all that, Matt, how are you doing this week? I'm doing all right. Um, I've actually had a little bit of a cold uh, late last week. I think some, sometimes, you know, I've, I've been out of town. Sometimes you travel, you pick up some something from another area that you're not used to. So uh, I was kind of kind of had a rough weekend from that, but I did some work around the house and everything. It's been it's been good. Hot down here in Alabama. It's humid already. It's not the most best weather, but um, but yeah, everything's been good. Uh, watching a little bit of baseball. Um, uh, excited for uh, excited for the weeks to come it's gonna be an interesting time of year as teams kind of jockey for their position before the all-star break and trade deadline and stuff so uh very very good baseball going on um but uh how are you doing today david doing good you know just uh busy with work uh after work curriculars that we typically run into but i'm ready to talk baseball today i haven't been able to get into it a little bit this, these last couple of days, man. I swear. We you know, we talked about them last week, man. Cubs are bothering me, but uh, it's good. We got some really good stuff to come up here. I think the trade deadline's going to be very energizing in terms of the baseball season, and I'm excited to get into it. Uh, and so, Damien, how are you doing this week? I'm doing all right. Really haven't had much going on. Just uh, kind of normal, normal week over here, at least. So I'm um, just excited to, to get into this and see what the uh, – you know, all-star break and trade deadline is usually my favorite part of the year. Um, so excited we can start kind of talking about that and see what it's going to be like this year. Cause um, you know, it's kind of been around the league. It, the speculation has been that it was going to be a quieter deadline. Um, but, you know, looking around at it, I think it could be one of the more underrated deadlines. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit, but um Let's go ahead and kind of start off with our miscellaneous section, just kind of hit all the little things. But uh, we mentioned all-star uh, voting was going to start soon. Well, it started the day after we uploaded the pod, which is pretty general for this, that things usually happen the day after uh, we talk about it. So no updates as far as that that is concerned, but all-star voting has started. So if you want to vote, you can go do that. Uh, you guys got anything on either one of that real quick? Uh, there should nope. be some interesting races. Um, I, I was looking at an article on ESPN earlier that um, you know it was kind of listing out just the guys who are currently starters and or who they would project to be starters. It was an ESPN Plus thing, and it was um, there were some of them were interesting. There's some positions that it's going to be very uh, difficult to find players having really good seasons at a few positions to uh, good enough to be all-stars. Like I think they even listed like in the American league for second base, they had like a Jose Altuve and they were just like pretty much nobody else has been good enough to take it. If we're going to bet that the star power gets him voted in. So like it's been interesting, but uh, we'll see what happens. I'm a, it'll be a interesting time of year. So they, they ignored the current MLB war leader, Marcus Simeon. Well, okay. there was the maybe well, Jose Altuve was the other guy. Like they had Marcus okay. Simeon and Jose Altuve was the other guy or something. All right, I'm pretty sure Simeon will get there. Yeah, yeah, he will. But maybe. Um, so one of the biggest stories that just happened today, at least, was that Ellie De La Cruz um, got his call up to the major leagues, and I'm trying to see where he's at on the current rankings. 
Club three prospects. Yeah, you know, he was five on the Fangraphs one. Um, but that hasn't accounted Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll being up. So, yeah, somewhere right around three or five. But Ali De La Cruz has been one of the more polarizing prospects uh, as of late to, you know, in the minor leagues. He's a big-time power hitter, but he strikes out a ton. Um, he's kind of electric, steals a lot of bases. Um, so now he's finally got his call up to the major leagues, and he's already got a walk and a double today so far. I was going to say what I what just popped across my timeline from J.J. Cooper. Ellie De La Cruz has had two plate appearances. He already has the hardest hit ball by any Reds player this season. He has the fastest sprint speed a Reds player has recorded this season. He also is the third fastest sprint speed ever recorded for a Reds base runner. I'm pretty sure maybe like Billy Hamilton is the one above, but one of the two above. But yeah, he's uh, he's already you know, out there doing the, the high tools things that we expected from Ellie De La Cruz. He, he might be the kind of player that's so unique that we'll never see another player like him. He's got that, uh, that hyper athleticism with the big power that may just go superstar and it might be super volatile and, and he may be in and out of, you know, productive, productive series. So he, he's really exciting because of those those really loud tools, though. And I'm really excited to, to watch him and watch some highlights and see how he does. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Ellie De La Cruz is a guy that has that, like like you mentioned, the fastest sprint speed, the hardest hit ball. Like, the tools here, and they've been saying for the last two or three years, the tools were just unbelievable. Like, even before he got all this prospect hype. and But he started performing at a high level, albeit that some of it was a little bit of a mirage, I guess, because of... I mean, he struck out 31% of the time at high A last year, 31% of the time at double A last year. So there were some things to be yellow flags. I wouldn't call them red flags he's so young. Yeah. And then triple A this year, the, the thing that encourages me is that he doubled his walk rate from mm-hmm. uh, going up a level. And he did cut his strikeout rate. It's still high, and it's still a little bit worrisome for a big league level because 27% triple-A, a lot of them, the projection systems are saying 31 32% at the big league level this year. But it's one of those things where if you're doing that and you're hitting the ball really hard and you're not totally overmatched, you can come up and start getting your experience on a, on a big league team. And, and you never know, he, maybe he takes off and just that you know extra competition, feeling that belonging at the big league level makes him you know continue to improve. And the guy's got the talent. And if he's got a, you know, I I don't know anything about him personally. If he's got a good head on his shoulders and he, you know, is able to continue to make those adjustments, continue to get better, making contact, then my God, this guy could be like, I mean, we could be sitting here in a few years and th- thinking of him in the same category as some of the top best players in baseball. So he reminds me of yeah, Tatis Jr. He does. He reminds me a little bit of that too. Him and. uh and, and, and it's like O'Neill Cruz as well. I mean, yep. he reminds me of O'Neill Cruz as well. Stay off motorcycles, Ellie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the roids. <sighs> Listen, that was just ringworm medication, okay? Um, so the other prospect, uh, I think we mentioned him last week, but he actually got some, uh, you know, some time in a game, and, and will make his first start here this next weekend. Is was the Braves' top prospect, AJ Smith Shriver, um, young guy that finally he. 
didn't have many major or minor league innings at all. Kind of rocketed through, got the call up, pitched well in relief. I guess I believe it was against the Diamondbacks, if that's yep. right, Matt. Uh, like two and a third innings looked pretty good. Uh, and the general manager came out today and said that he's going to get his first start sometime this weekend uh, against the Nationals. Yeah, uh, AJ Smith Shaver was a yeah. I think he was like a tenth round draft pick or something out of high school a few years. Seventh rounder, there it is, out of high school a couple years ago. And uh, I mean, he just immediately skyrocketed to the big leagues. Um, he was a guy that he was a dual sport athlete. He played football. I think he was actually like signed to play D one quarterback somewhere. And then he just came in and his commands gotten a lot better this year. And he got to double A after just. I mean, he was everyone. At, everyone at High A was so overmatched by him, like he wasn't even going to learn anything. So they promoted him to Double A, and then they promoted him after two starts and seven innings to Triple A. And the thought was that maybe like they didn't like the tacked ball and him pitching with that. And then he pitched two starts at Triple A, and they're like, "Nope, you're ready for the majors." So here he is. Uh, he came in and looked really good against the Diamondbacks. He had two in the third innings, struck out three guys, uh, including Corbin Carroll. Um, he did walk a guy at the end, but uh, he's going to get his chance to start, and we'll see what happens. The Braves need a starter. They had to send Mike Soroka back down, who you know, struggled in his two starts back in the big leagues, which was really cool to see him return, but it was pretty obvious after his first start he wasn't ready yet, and his second start was really not good either. So, um you know, they're going to give Smith Shaver a shot. And then, uh, you know, the Braves are probably going to be a team that's kind of looking like the, uh, we might be looking at it a little bit later with the, you know, these teams that might be selling. The Braves might be looking at one of those pitchers we talk about later. But, um, you know, for now, they're going to give Smith Shaver a shot. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I cannot recall seeing a rise like this. I mean, they, he is 20 years old, man. Like, this is a Juan Soto type of rise through the minors where he just never found any competition. And, you know, he, he's obviously pitched once, two innings, struck three out, <laughs> didn't allow a run. Like, this is a type of guy who could be really otherworldly. And it's kind of crazy that the Braves have pulled him and Spencer Strider out in the last couple of years where, you know, those guys aren't like top tip top prospects. Not everybody's expecting them to be dominant players. And they just rise up and take advantage of their opportunities and, and make the most of each level. And, I I commend the Braves here for being very aggressive. It's it's easy to get wrapped up in oh their pitcher's having a good run right. Well we want to you know make sure that he stays at the level, proves his worth, etc. It seems like they don't really care with this guy, and and th- that might be just be their belief in him or something to that effect. But uh, you know this is a this is a rise I haven't seen and a willingness by the Braves that I haven't seen from any other team to just promote a guy and see what he's got and. It, the Braves are in such a good spot right now that they can kind of afford to to take a lump or two if Smith Schaubert can't get going. But I don't really see any reason to believe he won't at least be a an acceptable you know four or five starter at this point. You know, even if he has a couple of blow up starts or he just can't get the ball in the strike zone, like I envision he'll be pretty nasty and he'll be very difficult to square up. So uh, this is a guy that it's got you know he's going to be teammates with Spencer Strider. That's going to be a nasty combo maybe later on in the season next couple of years. Yeah, I wonder how much of his development has been helped by the fact that he's not a two-way or you know two-sport athlete anymore. Now that mm-hmm. he's really just focusing on baseball, um, what that's been able to do for him as a pitcher, kind of developing that stuff year-round rather than kind of focusing on it, you know, six months out of the year or whatever it is. Yeah, I want to add to that, Damian. That's a good point. And he's a guy that when he first came up it, with the uh, 
in the minor leagues and got it made his debut in 2021 at the complex league and in 2022 he struggled a little bit throwing strikes and i think just repeat you know working full-time baseball repeating his delivery working on his mechanics there has really helped him improve in that area this year so that that's definitely a good point yeah uh, so speaking of a guy who needs to go and reinvent or improve his mechanics or something, uh, Alec Manoa, he he basically got demoted to the complex league, um, which I, this is probably more of just a, hey, just go get yourself right for a little bit rather than send you to AAA and AA where you're just going to be, you know, facing guys who you're probably overmatched with. It's just kind of going and being with your guys all the time. But uh, he's been god awful this year. Uh, the past couple of years, he had really broke out. Last year, had a 2.24 ERA. The peripherals were mid threes, pretty much, except the xFIP. Uh, but this year, a 6.36 ERA, a 6.42 expected ERA, a 6.52 FIP. Uh, what do you give up? I think it's six runs in a third of an inning last night against the Astros, which was kind of the final straw for them. But uh, if the Blue Jays you know, want to be successful and have a deep playoff run, they're going to need a guy like Alec Manoa to go figure himself out pretty quickly. And hopefully the complex leagues where he does that. Yeah. Matt's been down on Manoa. So I'll turn it over to him to let him maybe not take a victory lap, but just to note, I don't know. I, I think this might be several combinations all at once, but it's not the first time we've seen young players go down. We not, it's not the first time we've seen young players struggle this is a more public one because the Blue Jays have World Series aspirations and they needed their starting pitching to be really good this year and it hasn't been. So, you know, we're going to see, you know, we saw at least from the public ones that I can recall from the Cubs perspective is Kyle Schwarber went down, Ian Happ's been down, and those guys have come back and been able to bounce back. I envision that Alec Manoa will be better for this, but right now, got to be disappointing and got to be disappointing for the Blue Jays fans, whom I'm sure kind of felt like they had a future ace in Manoa and are very disappointed with this season. Yeah, just, you know, Manoa is a guy that I think he, I think some of it's mental, some of it's physical, some of it's just kind of like luck too. Like, I think he's probably been a little bit unlucky just on, you know, I don't know. He's just had a rough, a tough run. Some of it I think is, uh, I think, I think some of it is physical and mechanical, like, Honestly, he he and, and I hate saying this about him, but he did a lot of talking in the off season. He looks out of shape. I mean, he does on the mound. Like he looks like he's having trouble, and he that looks smooth. I mean, and he's I think mechanical mechanically he's not where he needs to be. And I mean, some of it turns mental because when you start to struggle a little bit and you know you're on a contending team and he's a guy he's a real rambunctious personality he's got he talks a lot he talked a lot last year and when you're a guy that's done a lot of talking and then you all of a sudden can't back it up anymore a lot of times that's the type of guy who really starts to have a hard time and i think that uh and i you know obviously i don't i'm not pulling against them i think he's you know i, I i'd like i'd like to, i don't like to see people really really fall off a cliff like that i know that it's a you know, it's, it's, I hate it for him, but, um, you know, it, it's a good chance, the mental side for sure, you know, to go get right. I mean, just, you know, take a, a, a you know, Phantom DL, Phantom IL stint was something that I thought would probably happen. And honestly, I mean, if you've got options, you're basically doing the same thing a Phantom IL would do anyways, if you just send him to the complex league. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, they'll probably rest him a little bit, have him throw some bullpens, maybe face some, 
you know, live batting practice against guys down there. And, uh, you know, eventually probably put him in AAA to see if he's been able to make the right adjustments. But uh, for the Blue Jays, it does suck for them. But honestly, like, even if you don't have a fifth starter now, because they really don't, like, throwing a bullpen game every fifth day is what they were doing when Manoa was starting, except, like, they were down six to nothing throwing a bullpen game when he was starting. Now they'll be zero zero when they throw a bullpen game. So, I mean, that's kind of the way it's been for them. But we'll see what happens. Hopefully, he's able to ride himself and, and get back soon. Yeah, and just to give some some stats behind of what's kind of gone wrong for Manoa this year, his walk rate has skyrocketed. Even in twenty twenty one, it was three two two. Last year was two point three three. This year's six fifty two. Uh, batting average on balls in play. The two years he was good, he was about two forties. He's 324 this year, uh, not getting guys out when they're on base. His first in 2021 was 76.6, 82.6 last year, 70% this year. And the, like I said, the home run rate has just doubled in the amount so far. So, I mean, it, you could see there's clear things. You need to stop walking people and stop giving up as many homers. I mean, it's easy to say, but I mean, there is, there is a clear path to success for what Manoa needs to kind of do to get back to it. He's getting falling behind in accounts and walking people. And then he's trying to throw them over the plate and he's giving good pitches to hit. So Velo's down a full mile per hour too this year. Yeah. That's also, uh, been part of it, but, um, so let's go ahead and jump over to the injury news that we've had happen. And we'll go ahead and start with the one of the smaller ones. But uh, the Rays starting pitching takes another hit. Um, they've already lost Drew Rasmussen and Jeffrey Springs. And now they've lost Josh Fleming to the I.O. with left elbow soreness as well. Um, I don't think I've seen anything else come out about what the timeline is. If either one of you guys know that, feel free to jump in. But um, it's obviously a big hit to that rotation who've already lost two guys who have been really good so far this year. Uh, they did get Glass now back. You still have McClanahan. Eflin's pitched pretty well. But, uh, I mean, never want to say the Rays are going to run out of arms because they just find a way to always be successful with it. But, um, you know, the starting rotation's already taken three hits so far. Yeah, it's tough for the Rays. Um, I hate that they keep losing pitchers, but it seems like they just don't get worse anyway. So, I mean, uh, I guess Glassnell is back now. That helps. So, it's um, it's worth noting that Josh Fleming is their worst pitcher by yeah. war, and this might actually be a benefit to them <laughs> to some extent. He's got a five five eighty seven FIP. So, yeah. so they'll be all right with. Taj Bradley, Tyler Glassnow, Shane McClanahan, yeah. and uh, Zach Eflin, who's got who pitched like extremely good tonight. Yeah, he did against the Twins. Uh, so let's go from one left-handed pitcher to the other. Let's go to Justin Steele, who went to the IL with a left forearm strain. Um, David, you'll have some more information. I was. Uh, he came out of the game. I think he's one hitting the Padres at that point. He might have been no hitting the Padres at that point. Looked great. But they mount. They, there was a mound visit, and he, he was shaking his arm around and stuff. Initial thought is like, well, if Justin Steele's out, season's probably over. They they're saying it's a light forearm strain. He probably only needs to miss two starts. Wisniewski's already up. They'll just have him fill in the spot in the rotation. Hopefully, this is all it is, man. I would really hate to see Justin Steele, who's having a, a really ascendant year, um, you know, his season end like that you know, with an elbow injury here, but forearm never good. 
I really hope it's nothing. Uh, it seems to be that way. And Justin Steele's the type of guy who, I mean, he, his arm would have to be falling off for him to want to come out of a baseball game. So um, if he was coming out of a game, that tells me something's wrong. And I'm hoping that uh, it's it's all that they've reported it as thus far. Yeah, you really hate to see him get hurt. He was having such a great year to start off. And uh, just after, you know, he battled through a lot to get to the big league level and, and to start having success. So um, hopefully this is not a big setback that, you know, you never know with the, when you hear forearm strain, it, it scares you. But uh, hopefully it is just a couple starts and he's back, which is not really that big of a deal if that's the case. But, you know, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully that's the case. I've got. I've got actually a quick update on this. One of the Cubs beat writers just tweeted about it and said that he's played catch every day since landing on the IL and he's felt great through the process so far. I don't think that the date is right on this, but they w- he'll be back maybe June 17th if we're playing Baltimore that day. They said versus Baltimore. So a uh, couple of weeks, a couple of turns yep. through the rotation should be the, the target date. And they're expecting him to be able to return basically on a minimum 15-day stint. <laughs> That one is. Um, so let's go ahead. I want to say the big one for the last one, but uh, mm-hmm. we mentioned Riley Green last week that he had left the game that day with um, something with his lower leg. Actually, come to find out, it was a stress fracture in his fibula, um, and sounds like he's going to miss about six to eight weeks um, after the second opinion. I think it was there was potential for a surgery involved, but after the second opinion, sounds like about a couple months for Riley Green. Uh, which we mentioned last week was going to be a big hit to the Tigers lineup if he was out. But, um, you know, Tigers took a couple big injuries the last couple weeks. Yeah, it sucks for Riley Green. I don't know if this is – I remember he had the broken ankle a couple years ago. I don't know if it's the same one, but he – um you know, he had had a pretty good start to the season. I think there were some things that were still worrisome with his peripherals, but – uh, you know, he had been one of the, he's been the Tigers best hitter for the season so far. And, uh, you know, it sucks to see him get hurt. Hopefully he comes back soon. Um, you know, you just, you hate seeing guys like him, you know, continue to miss development time because he kind of needs the, the development time right now in the big leagues. Uh, and, and just, the, you know, having these repeated injuries, just set that timetable back for him to really be able to, you know, mature as a big leaguer. So hopefully he's able to come back soon and, and continue that this year. Yeah, Riley Green's he needs the he needs the at bats. He's he's still really young, so hopefully this one's a, a quick healing fracture injury. But you hate to see something like that for a young, exciting player on a team that's kind of in contention in a weak division and the Tigers that really need him. Absolutely. Um, so let's go ahead and jump to the big one that we alluded to just a minute ago, but. Uh, was the biggest breaking news today that happened is that Jacob deGrom will have to undergo Tommy John surgery. Uh, will be out all of this year and pretty much all of 2024. Um, so he said he's going to try to come back late next year, but looks like maybe 2025 is the next time we'll see uh, Jacob deGrom, which really sucks. Uh, he's been the injury real guy ever since the 2020 season. Um, signed that big contract with Texas this year when he's pitched. Looked like the old-fashioned Jacob deGrom. Uh, I think he was dealing with a shoulder injury at one point, mm-hmm. or is the back, uh, and then it came out that the elbow uh, was the, the culprit of it, the torn UCL. So uh, sucks for Jacob deGrom. Hopefully he comes back, but looks like the next time we'll probably see him is at age 37 already. I, 
I I just want to give some Jacob Degrom appreciation. I don't. I was looking through his stats because I was like, man, I, I don't know if you know, we, you hope he gets back, but he's he's been through so many arm injuries already. You really hope that there's not any setbacks and you don't run into a Steven Strasburg type incident where you just you never see him quite the same again. And that's the, initially the thought that went through my head. So as I'm looking through his stats, that 2021 season that was cut short by injury. He piled up five wins above replacement and 15 starts in 92 innings, which is, I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like that. He had a 108 ERA and a 124 FIP. And I'm just, the dude is so good at this pitching thing. He never walked anybody. He struck everybody out through a hundred miles an hour. Like, I gosh, I hope it's not the last we've seen of Jacob deGrom, but you know, that was the, the big risk. We, we discussed it at length about signing that big contract with Jacob deGrom. You, you were risking him getting injured again and it's come to fruition for Texas. They're still a good team. They're still, you know, in contending in this division in, in the AL West, but not what you wanted to hear when kind of they were expecting to get DeGrom back as kind of your kind of quasi trade deadline acquisition. Now it's a, well, he's out and he's not even a part of this anymore. And Texas may need to look at going and getting a starter. Yeah, it's a really a bummer. I mean, obviously, you know, that is something we worried about with Jacob DeGrom coming into the year. Um, you know, the thing that kind of sucks is that a lot of his injuries haven't necessarily been like elbow, arm, forearm type stuff in his career. Like he's had shoulder last year, I think, and he had uh, he had a rib injury, I think. And then he's had the oblique what got him a couple of years ago that he missed a lot of time from that. But he never really had like UCL damage, anything. But that was kind of the concern all along is this guy started throwing harder and harder and harder. And you're like, how long is that elbow gonna hold up and the fact that he's kept having these other nagging injuries is kind of like i think it made it late you know take a little bit longer for the elbow to be the problem and finally that happened this year so i uh, really really hate it i hope he comes back healthy again some at some point you know i don't know maybe you end up seeing him with with his long list have like that late career like reliever type role at some point where it's Kind of like, um, you know, Kerry Wood after his injuries or uh, John Smoltz when he came back from Tommy John uh, surgery, you know, pitching out of the pitching out of the, as the best closer in baseball for a couple of years. Like, I think that maybe you are one of the best. He went Mariano Rivera. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you maybe you see that, but we'll see. Um, hopefully he comes back. I mean, I, I really hate it. So, yeah, I saw something that if he I was trying to see, I saw something compared to him with. Uh, the primes of him and Clayton Kershaw and just how identical the stats were, um, which I don't know. If, I mean, we knew DeGrom has been good, but the the level of what he was at was just slightly better than even what the prime Kershaw was, um, which it sucks to see that, you know, DeGrom was still at that level and we're going to, going to lose it. But um, when he's expected to return in 2025, he'll still have three years and $115 million left on his contract. Yeah. that's it's insane so i hope that he's able to have that kind of justin verlander comeback yeah. um which we've seen what was verlander 39, 39. When he did it or 40 mm-hmm. yeah so degrom will be what will it be he'll be 37 so hopefully he's able to come back and have that type of rebound but uh so let's go ahead and jump over to the the trade deadline kind of primer type that we want to get to and really talk about all the teams that kind of technically aren't in the playoffs at the moment and whether they'll be buying, selling. If we know, 
uh, and the potential players that they would have to either, you know, to sell off. But um, we we said we weren't going to talk about those ones. So start with the Blue Jays. Maybe I mean let let's if anything can we should we pull up and go through the the playoffs of the teams that are already in as we've started June now and note who's definitely a buyer because I think anyone who's in yeah. the playoffs right now is buying yeah. almost certainly. Yeah. Um. So let's pull up that real quick. So as in the National League in the playoffs right now, um, Atlanta. Uh, Pittsburgh, and then the Arizona and LA are tied for the division lead in the West. So those are your division leaders. And then in the wild card, you got the other Arizona, LA team, whatever one that one is, and then Miami and Milwaukee. Uh, and then on the American League side, you have Tampa Bay, Texas, and Minnesota as your division leaders. And then in the wild card, it's Baltimore, Houston, and the Yankees. Uh, so. Yeah. It, it, one one thing, I, don't, I know one of these, one of the teams we haven't thrown on here, but um, you know, the Pirates we have on here, they're in the division lead right now. The Marlins are another team that I'd throw in here. A couple of these teams are kind of like the Orioles were last year, where there's they might be in a situation where they end up selling, even though right now they're in the playoffs and they're playing really well. Um, so just, I mean, there's some red flags, with, especially with the Marlins. Like, I think they've got like a negative 50 run differential or something. So, uh, but we'll see. Uh, you know, I just thought it might be worth bringing up that, you know, those aren't necessarily – I mean, like the Braves are going to buy. The Brewers are probably going to buy – well, who knows about them. The Cardinals and Dodgers are going to buy 100%, but like some of these teams just never know. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just go and we'll start with the American League East so far. Um, we You mentioned the Orioles. We think they're going to buy. The Blue Jays, um, they are three games out of the wild card at the moment, nine and a half games back at the division. Um, but I think we kind of expect them to be buyers at this point. Um, no real reason for them or even players to sell off. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you know, I don't think, um, I mean, they're going to be at least five or six games above 500. So I don't see a, I don't see a way that they don't buy their playoff odds are still really high. I mean, they've still got the talent. They've kind of underperformed a little bit. They did the same thing last year. They're going to end up buying probably they could go get a pitcher. Yeah. Um, and then, so next would be Boston. They are uh, 12 games back in the division, five and a half games uh, from the wild card. Uh, I mean, they are kind of a weird team. They never really kind of do this sell piece uh, or sell thing. They kind of, even last year, they kind of teetered on buying and selling at the same time. I mean, if they were to sell, who were some pieces that you guys would think they could potentially flip? Boston's a hard one because they're a lot of their players right now are very young. They were able to kind of go through that selling ish type of phase and they re-signed Raphael Devers to the big extension. So the the amount of pieces they have is little and it's where, you know, I noted selling on the spreadsheet here we have, but they're only five and a half out in the wild card. I, in, in, and they've got, you know, they invested in Mats- Masataki Yoshida endeavors, you know, they've still got Verdugo around for a few years the only two real names that I came up with were Kike Hernandez and James Paxton. I don't know if you have any more, Matt, but you know, they got Martin on a two-year deal. Jansen's on a long-term deal. This feels like a team that's going to keep giving it a shot all the way up to the deadline. And then they might just throw away a couple of the, the one year expiring contracts and, and run it back again next year. Yeah. I mean, I I don't disagree with you at all. I, I would be surprised if they just sold, um, 
I mean, like you said, they don't really have that many pieces to sell, but I could see them maybe. I mean, maybe they get a, a some of these, you know, they, they could maybe get a taker for Corey Kluber for a player to be named later or an international bonus slot or something too, something like that. I mean, like, I don't think that there's that many pieces they have that are desirable to sell. And I mean, honestly, this team, they're five and a half games back, but I don't think that. I think there's a non-zero chance they go on a run at some point. Like, I mean, they've got, they have had some guys underperform. I mean, Rafael Devers has been really bad. I mean, he's not going to be this bad all year. He's got a 105 WRC plus on the season. And I mean, that's not horrible, but for Rafael Devers, it is. So he's got a sub 300 uh, on base percentage. So, you know, you got some guys like that, that maybe play a little bit better. We'll see if they end up, you know, if they get two or three games above 500, they might end up trying to add a, fringe piece or something, but I, I don't see them. Uh, I mean, Kike Hernandez is probably the guy they would move. Uh, I don't know when Adam Duvall comes back, but that might be another guy they might look to move um, if he's, if he gets healthy again. So we'll see. Yeah. So the, the next team we'll jump over to the American league central now would be the, uh, the Cleveland guardians. They are three and a half games back in the division, eight games back in the wild card. Um, there have been some rumblings, you know, beforehand in the off season about Ahmed Rosario potentially being on the block. Um, and even over the last week or so, there's kind of been some talk about maybe they would consider doing a Shane Bieber deal at this moment. Um, but it, I mean, they're kind of a weird team too. They, they don't really ever kind of sell off, sell off. They're still kind of in the hunt here in the division. Um, you guys think that they would actually sell off? somebody like Bieber or that being what only three and a half games behind the twins. I I wouldn't be stunned. I mean, we saw him trade Mike Clevenger a couple years ago when he was kind of in a similar like situation that that was kind of weird because of the breaking the rule team rules or whatever, right before it happened. But I, I wouldn't be totally shocked. I mean, they've traded pitchers in the past and they continue to bring up guys who pitch well for them. So, you know, you know, paying extensions to guys, to pitchers really had been really their thing to do. I mean, look at Kluber too. They traded him before the season, but you know, a couple of years ago, but like they, you know, they, they've definitely shown the willingness to part with pitchers. They really like, or that have been really good for them uh, because they just have, they have confidence that the next guy they bring up is going to develop and be really good too. So we'll see what happens, but I wouldn't be shocked if they traded Shane Bieber. My issue with them trading Shane Beaver here is that his value is probably the lowest it's been yeah. in several years. This is a, this isn't the best time to trade him. He hasn't been striking guys out this year. So velocity's down a good bit. Been getting hit a lot harder. I don't know that he would be the. He's not. He's certainly not the best starting pitcher we're going to talk about right now. And they've they've brought up Tanner Bibby, who's been much better. Logan Allen's been much better. You know, the young guys are really proving themselves for Cleveland right now, but. Bieber has not been able to carry his weight, and and that's a big reason as to why they're in the position they are right now. Um, Rosario hasn't been good either. This is not a team built with one-year deals, right? I mean, this is a team built out of out of the farm, young deals, extensions with the likes of Jose Ramirez. They're not going to be moving a lot of those guys, um, so I don't anticipate this team maybe truly selling. But if they do find a taker for Shane Bieber, it would be a team overpaying for him for what they're getting right now, which is not the Shane Bieber of 2020, for example. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't be totally surprised if the guardians go on a run at some point and, and they end up buying because they're in a bad division and Mm -hmm. Tristan McKenzie's coming back like 
I think he either just came back or he's just about to. And, yeah, he just came back. Yeah, so, I mean, with him and if Bieber kind of, you know, starts to pitch a little bit better, you know, kind of back to his – kind of to his career normal, we know he can be. And I don't – I mean, their offense is bad, but I, I don't know if it's this bad. So it might be, but, I, you know, I feel like they're probably a little bit better than they played so far, even though they only have 20% playoff odds. Yeah, I think they're – I definitely think they're better than they've played so far, which is why it's hard for me to see them actually wanting to try and, you know, sell off some pieces. But um, in the same division, the Detroit Tigers, they're four games back in the division, eight and a half games back in the wild card. Um, they're kind of in that unknown spot as well. They really don't have much to trade off. I mean, their they're kind of pieces would be – I mean, I know you guys – aren't really big on it potentially a hobby bias deal which is probably very 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 like not going to happen but uh eduardo rodriguez is an interesting name he did just get hurt he'll be out six to eight weeks maybe making his return right around the trade deadline um but he's pitched really well this year he has the opt-out after the uh, after this season so not sure what the value would look like there because i think he's signed for two more years three more years after this year yeah um, you know what so some team's going to have to probably the Tigers are going to want the value of a three-year guy when you potentially get a rental, but yeah, see, that's the problem with Eduardo Rodriguez is that it's going to be very difficult to find a trade partner for him because like the upside is you get a guy who has dealt with injuries at times this year. He's got the finger injury right now. Last year he went AWOL for half the season and he is, you know, and, and, but and he's at bat, like if he pitches well he's a rental but if he if some of those issues come back like he you know last year he had all those issues like this year he has the you know he's got the this year he's had the the injury like if he comes back if he if he comes one of those things comes back or whatever like he you know then he's a four year guy who you know you're probably on a bad contract so i mean that's Yep. I don't know. Like, I, I just don't see Edward. I, I don't see Eduardo Rodriguez actually getting moved because I just don't think they'll get much for him. Yeah, I, for what it's worth, the last, uh, the last I think four starts for Michael Lorenzen, who's on a one-year deal, were really good. Uh, it's actually, it's it's even a little bit further back than that. He's been solid. Um, it won't be a big piece, but. You know, you've got some. They, he's they've only got a couple of decent bullpen arms, right? We saw them sell off Gregory Soto in the off season, so I wonder if Alex Lange wouldn't, you know, selling him before he hits arbitration wouldn't be similar to the Cubs moving Scott Efros last year. Uh, but yeah, this Tigers team probably doesn't buy. But then then again, right? They just don't feel like the type of team that's got enough to sell that would make it worthwhile to give up a bunch of these pieces. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it just seems like they they stand pat just because they don't have a lot to give away. I mean, they might, like you say, they might get some kind of like reliever flyer on Michael Lorenzen or something. But like they're, you know, the only guys that are have valued other teams right now for them are they're not going to trade because they're prospects or they're young and they'd like to see them figured out. So I'd be shocked if they gave up on Spencer Torkelson, but I mean. He's been really. I don't think they'll trade him. And yeah, he know, has. It's worth noting while we're while we're here though that we we're me- trying to mention the guys who are kind of obvious trade targets here, but these the way the teams are thinking now, 
we're seeing different types of trades where we're seeing teams go for young MLB talent for young MLB talent. We could see different like contract trades, money saving trades. It's not just going to be limited to one year deals. Those are a lot of the names we're talking about, but like a team providing a, a very good player to the, the Tigers for Torkelson wouldn't be shocking. I don't expect it to happen because I think the Tigers are just going to hang on to him and see what he can do. But, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that I think front offices are starting to get really progressive with their thoughts and that maybe we can capitalize on the, the prospect value. If we don't believe in a guy like Spencer Torkelson anymore, maybe we can still change that into something that is valuable for our team this year while we do have a kind of an outside chance at the division in a weak division. Yeah. Uh, so bringing up that back in the, the end of that division, uh, it's the Kansas City Royals. They're 13 games back in the division, 10 games back in the wild card. I think it's pretty clear and obvious that they're going to be a selling team. Um, they have probably the two hottest reliever names on the market right now in a role Chapman and Scott Barlow. Um, there was even an article today by The Athletic saying that they could look to either package Chapman and Barlow together to kind of increase the prospect hall to one team. Um, Cause that team could just completely transform their bullpen there with, you know, a high level back end right-hander and left-hander. Uh, and then the other kind of sneaky name that was potential about being packaged onto one of those two was maybe even Salvador Perez. Uh, seems like the Royals kind of want to get off that contract a little bit. I think he's still got three years left of club control, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's two years with the club option. Um, I, I doubt that happens, but I mean, I think it's very very, very possible that we see a role Chapman and Barlow go at this deadline could even be in the same deal. Yeah. I think Scott Barlow is their most attractive trade piece um, because he has done this for a few years now. Um, he's been really, really, really good. This is his third straight season where he's been a legitimately like a closer caliber reliever. Um, and he's also got two years of control left. He's not, or a, a year and a half. So he's arb eligible in 2024. So he, he he's under control next year. Um, and you know he's young. There's nothing. You know that the only the thing about Orlis Chapman is that he's his velocity's back this year. He's been good, really good so far. But the walk rate is skyrocketed, and you just never know with the way the last couple of years have gone for him. You never know when he might lose it again. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with there. I think that packaging them would make a lot of sense, especially with it being a lefty and a righty. I think that'd be pretty cool. And then I just – I don't see a team trading for Salvador Perez. I think especially, like, with the contract, like, they might be able to – if they ate some of the contract, then you might be able to get something. But And he's been good at the plate this year again, but – you know, you're looking at a guy who's probably a DH, and especially like a midseason pickup, you rarely see catchers get traded midseason if they're going to be primary catchers. And, you know, unless it's like a defensive replacement type guy. And, I mean, the defense is bad anyways with him. So, you know, I I mean, is a 120 WRC plus good enough to trade for and be a DH only? I mean, I, you know, especially with that big contract, like, I mean, it's not a huge contract, but he's $20 million a year. So I, I'd be surprised if they're able to find something for, to trade him, somewhere to trade him without eating a lot of money on it. So I kind of expect that they just kind of keep him around, be a veteran presence. And, but, you know, you never know. And maybe they do find something for him. 
Yeah, it's worth yeah. noting that he also will have ten five rights. Yeah. Um, so he he'll have a full no trade clause as well. So that could also be a factor into yeah. a potential deal. I don't anticipate that moving yeah. on from Salvi. Yeah. Ultimately, I like the uh, I like the idea to trade Barlow and Chapman in the same deal. Though I think that could uh, that could be one of those trades that we look at in in July and say, wow, that that could win a team the division right there. Well, and it's even been that they're willing to do it earlier too, if right. a team really wants to jump ahead of it. So um, I think that it, it, the Royals shouldn't be a team that wait until the deadline to make that deal. I think if they can jump on it now or, or soon, but uh, the Chicago White Sox are the last team in this division. They're five and a half games back in the division, 10 games back in the wild card. It's kind of an unknown on them as well. Feels like they are probably going to stand pat probably or, or buy, but I feel like they probably should end up potentially selling here, especially with some of the names that they have that they could probably capitalize on some value. I would argue this is the most talent that we're going to be mentioning in this list, just in one team, which is what makes them needing to sell all that much crazier. I I just can't understand how this team hasn't been able to to put it together, but they're almost their entire starting rotation is theoretically available. Uh, You know, Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito are free agents at the end of the season. They are almost locks to move regardless. Uh, Lynn is probably less value right now. He's just not enjoying the pitch clock. Giolito threw six no-hit innings tonight, so a lot of skill still there um, despite the inconsistency. But the big question is whether they'll move on from Dylan Cease, who is, I believe, a free agent after next season. So that extra year of control could be really valuable and you could see some high-end prospects moving for that. Not to mention, I think Cease would probably be the most attractive pitcher on the market. It's just a matter of whether or not a team can kind of corral that walk rate and get him pitching like he did a couple years ago. Yeah, this is a really interesting team because on one hand, the White Sox are really not i mean for as bad as they were for first month of the season they're not totally out of it because i mean you look at them they they only have seven percent playoff odds but they are just i think they're after they're up in the ninth inning right now the twins lost today so i mean they're potentially going to be four and a half games back in the division in a bad division with one of those teams ahead of them is detroit who they'll pretty certainly end up above so i wouldn't be shocked if they ended up buying um I mean, these pitchers, like, I mean, Giolito's a free agent at the end of the year, but, you know, I don't know if he's a guy that would get the qualifying offer right now. So that probably would end up being kind of the baseline. Are you going to get a prospect that's better than the qualifying offer? And the answer is probably no right now. He hasn't really, I mean, he's been okay this year. He's, he did good tonight, but he's got a 429 FIP, a 441 XFIP on the season he's got up a lot of home runs lance lynn's been horrible this year like he's he's a got a club option that'll get declined at the end of this year um cease i just feel like cease he'd be selling low he's also not he he is not a free agent till 2026 so he, he has two more years after this one of control he maybe he's a guy if they were if they went full on fire sell then he would be a very attractive option on the market even with the down year this year but I just don't see the White Sox doing that anyways, even if they do feel like they're totally out of it. Um, Tim Anderson's a guy who could definitely get them something uh, in return. You know, I would move on from him if I was – if I, if they're 
really out of it at the deadline, I'd move on from Tim Anderson, try to trade Giolito and Lynn, but um, Joe Kelly and Liam Hendricks, definitely a couple more guys that you would look at maybe being, you know, good relievers on the market. So, but uh, I just, I mean, I don't see the White Sox selling just because that's kind of what they've done the last few years is just stand pat with their team. They've got the talent to make a little bit of a run. So we'll see what happens. But um, I, this team, I mean, honestly, I, I don't think these teams are quite as interesting as they said. These names, these are big names that I think are going to have less value than people think, except for maybe Dylan Cease if they decided that it was time to move him. But I, I just, I don't see that happening. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to the American League West. Uh, the first right. couple teams I don't envision <laughs> selling, and that's the Angels and the Mariners. Um, they're both nine and 10 games back in the division, five and six games back in the wild card. Um, obviously, the big name on the Angels is Matt Moore uh, that could be <laughs> traded this year. Um, I'm just It's obviously it's Shohei, but I don't think Art Moreno's, um, you know, ego will let him trade Shohei at all. Like he firmly believes that Shohei is going to be back. And I think everyone knows that Shohei is going to be gone, but uh, I mean, they have a couple relievers that they could potentially move. And then, you know, looking at the Mariners uh, very rare that Jerry DePoto would ever kind of sell off either. And they have a ton of talent, um, you know, especially if the, if some of the pitchers can turn around and, and if Julio gets going. Um, but anyways, yeah, Angels aren't trading Shohei unless they go on like a 10-game losing streak. If, if they're like – I think if they went into the deadline and they were like 10 games under 500 or something, that they would probably think about it. But, I mean, they're going to be around 500. The problem with the Angels is that their record is going to be okay. But in the American League right now, with the records of teams in the AL East and then the two teams leading the AL West, like there's just not going to be a, that, that wild card spot's not going to go to an 88 win team or something or an 85 win team. It's going to go to a 95 win team because the central's so bad. Like, you know, if the angels were in the central, then we'd be calling them buyers. They'd be in first place. And we'd be talking about how they were, you know, how we were going to finally see Shohei and trout in the postseason. but uh, they just aren't, you know, they're not in the central and, they're facing three other really good teams in their division. So I think, but the, the optics of trading Shohei, if you're right around 500, even if that's probably leads to a sub 20% playoff chance, which is what they have right now. Like, I just don't think they'll do it. And, and, you know, Art Marino is not going to do it anyways, probably. So, and I don't even know if it's worth talking about, but Matt Moore, maybe, uh, you know, I, if they don't trade Shohei, I don't think they really sell anybody. I think they try to make one mm-hmm. more run at it. Like they might add something to see if they can just catch fire or something. But yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. The Mariners, I mean, the Mariners are weird because last year they did so well. I do think that their talent level is. I think they're a little bit better than they've played, but last year they got such great performances from like Eugenio Suarez and Carlos Santana was big for them last year and he's not there anymore. Like they, you know, the Colton Wong hadn't worked out like they, they're not as they're legitimately not as good as they were expected to be. And uh, defensive, I mean, offensively, they're just challenged. And I think that this is a team we and David were talking about before the show. Like, we this is a team that maybe could trade from their pitching depth and add a bat. Like they might be one of those buy sell type teams who does both. 
and that would be in Jerry Depoto's, um, you know, that would be totally in his, um, it, it, it's something he would do too. I mean, and we were talking about even with the Cardinals because the Cardinals have all these outfielders and the Mariners have extra pitching. So that could end up being a little bit of a, uh, maybe a match made in heaven right there. But uh, I don't think they sell, sell. Cause I mean, honestly, like I don't think anybody's taking on Eugenio Suarez's contract anyways. Like so. one more year on it. Yeah. But, but still it's a lot of money and he's not very good right now. So he's been okay. Here's the, the weird part about both of these teams is that you've got, you know, the biggest name on, on the list, which is Shohei Otani, obviously, but in, in a situation where the owner definitely feels pressure to succeed, right. With the team he has, or, you know, and Otani's probably leaving, but, you know, we have to note it because if the, the angels do lose those games and we turn around and sell them, we didn't mention it. We're, looking foolish so i think the there's always a chance here but i think it's not likely and i ultimately believe that uh the reason they won't sell Shohei otani is because he's on the team like they he pitches once every five days they're not going to go on a 10 game losing streak because otani pitches twice in a 10 game stretch so you know that's that's just where it's it's unlikely i feel like this angels team may just hover around 500 they might try to buy um you know, but the the Mariners are in the same boat where they're just they're back of the wild card right now. The AL East is just so good, and the Mariners' offense has been faltering on them. And they're gonna if they want to make that run, they've got the pitching to do well in the playoffs, but they've got to to make those additions. So the Mariners make sense as a buy team. They have a bunch of like last last year types like Tiasca Hernandez and Colton Wong and AJ Pollock. They could theoretically be available if they were to go on a selling spree, but uh, ultimately, I think they would they would be the kind that, that goes and sells and buys. It's a very interesting spot for a lot of these teams where we don't exactly know. But we do know which names would be getting moved on a lot of these teams. And I think the, the Shohei Domino is the, the big one that uh, we at least have to mention here. Because if that one stays hidden, the price for a lot of these other starting pitchers that are not also great hitters goes way up. Uh, so real quick, right before we move on, uh, over under on Jerry Depoto trades before the deadline at four and a half. I think it's a good line. I'm going to go under, but I think it's a good line. I think he'll hit like three or four. Four and a half. I'll go. I, I think I'll say he makes like four. Uh, so I think that's under, but barely. It's good line. Good line. Uh, anyway, so let's go to the Oakland A's, whose playoff odds are like negative one trillion. Uh, they don't even need to worry about the games back here, but uh, I, and we call them the Oakland A's because it doesn't look like Vegas is going to happen, which is just—it's completely <laughs> that, stupid. I think it's, that it's still gonna, uh, it's still gonna happen. It's gonna happen, dude. It didn't even get past the it's, first part of the voting to go to the private committee. It's. A joke. This that was already their third. This this was their third stadium deal, and it didn't even get past the first round. It is a disaster on all fronts uh, in Oakland. It's stupid. much like this team is, uh, but they do have some decent players, right? And I think, yeah. I think they will make some moves, but I think the moves will be short. And they've got a lot of guys under control. Uh, they're they're playing a lot of young guys like Brent Rooker, Ryan Noda. They've got some control. Uh, good batch to obviously grab, but they, the price may not get matched. I think the guy that you'll definitely see get moved is Paul Blackburn. I think he's a 
probably going to pitch his way out of there. Uh, Ramon Laureano might also finally leave, but he's, he's played so poorly that his value is nowhere near what it was a couple of years ago when they probably should have moved him. So uh, Oakland selling again. Yay. They'll sell him for nothing and they'll be great. So um, I kind of hate that the Braves farm system here is not doing so hot. Uh, that didn't but, stop you. In, that didn't stop you in the fall. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mean, but Sean Murphy was still doing good. I, I guess the Braves could get Brent Rooker. I mean, I guess it's possible, but uh, I don't think they're going to trade Brent Rooker, honestly. Just because, I mean, he's got like, he, he does have like five years of control left. And theoretically, like, they would probably want to have somewhat of a competitive team when they when they did get into Vegas. So, I mean, that might be the type of time frame you're looking at for them to want to win like 80 games again. And, I mean, I, you know, I think you kind of got to look toward that type of, uh, that type of, you know, time frame. But I think, um, you know, and also Brent Rooker might also be one of those like, one month flash in the pan type things too, but um, he homered tonight. Yeah, I, I I know he's been he's been he's been legitimately better this year, but he's also a corner outfielder who has a not great track record as a pro. That you know, and it's been just you know a couple months. Of, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but um, you know, him and Noda both are they're so young that or they're so early in their careers that you know you never know if they're going to move them or not, but. I mean, Blackburn probably gets moved. Hey, the A's are not winning nine to two tonight, so that's happening. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, you know, they'll move. They'll probably move Loriano or somebody just because, like, somebody will t- give them nothing and they'll take it. So, I mean, I, I just I don't know that. Do they have any good relievers? I mean. I, <laughs> I don't think they've the, the one to sell would have been Trevor May, and he was very yeah disastrous, he's, he's had so. some he's had some issues, and he, you know hopefully he's doing well. I know he had like anxiety issues put him on or the reason he went on the IL for a while, and he came back recently, I think. But uh, hopefully, I mean hopefully he's doing well. But yeah, I mean I I don't I don't know. I mean they'll sell what they can, but I just don't think they have much to give away. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to the National League now, and we'll start with the NL East uh, with the Phillies. They are seven and a half games back in the division, four games back in the wild card. The Phillies aren't going to sell. They're going to be a buyer. Um, not sure really what. I mean, you got you got Harper back now. You, you really need Trey Turner. He hit a couple homers last night. You need him to really kind of turn it around as well. Um, I mean, I guess you could always upgrade the back end of that rotation, but – um, the Phillies are just kind of in a weird spot where like, it feels like most of their roster is set. I mean, they could probably go get a first baseman. Um, if they don't want to count and Bryce having to play some first base later in the year, if, if he's going to still do that. But, um, I don't know, really, they're kind of in that weird spot where they should buy, but what should they really buy? I mean, the Phillies to me, your team, that's just going to stand pat because I mean, they're, they're not good. I mean, the Phillies, this team's just not very good. I mean, they're they they don't have any rotation behind Nola and Wheeler. I mean, that Taiwan Walker's been a disaster. Uh, you know, they're seven. Shut I know he had a good night tonight against the Tigers, but he he's been bad this year. And then like uh, Bailey Falter hasn't done well. I mean, they've got 
Ranger Suarez recently came back. He has pitched poorly. Nola hasn't been the same guy, and he's a free agent at the end of the year, by the way. Uh, Wheeler has been really good peripherals-wise, but his you know ERA is hanging behind. Part of that's probably the Phillies' atrocious defense. But um, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, this team is not that great. They're, they don't have any depth. And, you know, when you don't have depth, you really need a lot of things to go right as a team coming into the season. And, you know, they just they've had a few injuries and stuff where that depth just that lack of depth has really been exposed by the injuries. So, um, you know, I, I don't see them. I don't see them selling for sure because they put way too much money into this roster to, to sell. But um but who knows? Um, maybe they'll end up. Maybe they'll. Maybe they'll end up buying something. But I, I just. I could see them ending up being like a Stan Pat type team, just because I. I mean, I don't know if. I don't know if it's worth investing a lot into this roster, this year to buy a Reynolds when you're, you know, got thirty percent playoff odds and you're in fourth place. They'll need to move forward, I think, to buy. But I, I the Phillies are in a weird spot where. I, they don't even have where you trade an Aaron Nola on a one-year deal. Like probably not. Right. So they're selling or they're, they're going to buy or stand pat at minimum. Yeah. Uh, so let's go to the big seller of last year's deadline, the Washington nationals. Uh, and they are 10 games back in the division, six and a half games back of the wild card. Uh, I think it's obvious that if they have pieces to sell, they should sell it. And I mean, really the two pieces that kind of stand out are, Heimer, Cam Delario, and Corey Dickerson so far. Um, really, and no other pieces in the the, the uh, rotation, and I mean maybe a couple of bullpen arms, but even then, those have been pretty uh, pretty risky so far. Nationals are in a spot where they they need to get they need to get rid of Candelario as soon as possible to one of these teams that's starting to get desperate uh, at third base. There's several of them, so you know they're a pretty easy team here. Trade Candelario quick while his value's up and you stand pat through the deadline and see where you are at the end of the season. You know, they're close in the wild card right now, six and a half back. They're not by any means out of it, but you know, this is not a team that's out here to win games. This is a team that's out here to prepare for the next wave. Yeah. Um, with the nationals, I think that, um, you know, we look at Jamer Candelario. He's been really good this year. And, you know, you sit here and you're talking about the Tigers who don't really have anybody to sell and they non-tendered him for some reason. So, golly. Um, yep. That's what a yeah, bad move then, that was. Yep. And then, you know, Corey Dickerson's another guy who hasn't played a ton. He dealt with some injuries, but he's actually been pretty good. Uh, he's that kind of like, he's that sneaky left handed bat that plays corner outfield that, you're probably going to see a lot of those types of guys moved because they're, you know, a lot of teams need that. I mean, they need the platoon guy. Um, I mean, it, there's several teams that could use a guy like that. So, you know, they'll probably get something for him. Not, not a lot, but they'll get, you know, a low level flyer or something. So, but there's not a ton to sell here. Absolutely. Uh, so let's go jump over to the NL central. Now we mentioned the Cardinals earlier with having some of those outfield pieces, um, you know, if they were to potentially sell, which they're usually a team that kind of doesn't, um, but we still could see a move of, uh, you know, one of the, the Tyler O'Neill's Dylan Carlson's, um, kind of that extra outfield piece. Now that they have, uh, they've recalled, uh, Jordan Walker to play in the outfield. You could still have Lars Newbar and, um, 
who's the other Donovan? They have Donovan uh, plays some. They've got outfield. who's the other guy? What am I? Who am I thinking? They've got Carlson, uh, Jordan I am... Walker playing outfield. Uh, Newt Bar. Heck, who is it? Um, is Gorman in the outfield? O'Neal. No, Gorman's at third, right? No, Gorman's, Gorman's at, at Gorman's second. At DH second. Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe they don't need another. Then, maybe they do need another outfielder. Um, oh, Oscar Mercado and Mer- Juan yeah. Burleson. It's Burleson, isn't it? Burleson. Burleson. Yeah. Is he still at the big league level? Or y- yeah, Yepes, one of them. Yeah, it's, yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of all of those three, yeah. but um, anyways, they could they. Kind of the two big names have been Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson to kind of move off of, um, you know, if even regardless of if they were winning or not, because one of those kind of don't have a spot. But, uh, you know, if they could use somebody like that to get a solid starting pitcher, I think both of those guys still have a ton of potential that they could try and capitalize on to get a solid starting pitcher here um, with one of these other teams that maybe even a pitcher that has a little bit of control. But, um, yeah, I mean, if they were to do it, those kind of would be the two names. I don't see them selling off anything else. Uh, Cardinals really just don't sell in general, but yeah, and it, it, you think they, them, and the White Sox are probably really good partners here. I think one of those starting pitchers from the White Sox, and you know, for one of those outfielders, it, it makes a lot of sense. The White Sox have been struggling with that that production from the corner outfield spots, and yeah, Mariners too. Yeah, Mariners also make a lot of sense here. So th- th- those are maybe the two I'd keep my eye on. Yeah, and remember last year, just briefly, the Cardinals did this last year, and they traded uh, uh, Bader, Harrison mm-hmm. Bader, for Jordan Montgomery. I mean, yeah. so they've got a we pattern knew. of doing this too. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure he got hurt again this last week too. <laughs> he did. Yeah, he did. so we didn't even mention it because it happens every week. But Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so staying in the division, we have the Cubs. They are six games back in the division, five and a half games back in the wild card. Um, they're kind of in that unknown area too. They do have some very attractive pieces in Marcus Stroman and Cody Bellinger. Um, that could be, or any Andrew Smiley who are all on one year deals. I believe isn't Gomes. Gomes is on his last year? year as well. No, Gomes oh, I through this through year. next year. So, yep. um, if you want a veteran catcher as well, Jan Gomes is probably the best guy that you're going to get on the market. So if they do look to sell, I mean, they have four kind of attractive, uh, pieces yeah. that they could uh, look into selling off. I hate having to consider this again, uh, third, third year in a row, but the, the, the optics of it would be bad, but the, that we're at this point, right. This team has not performed as it has. And we haven't even, none of these guys were acquisitions, or I guess only Cody Bellinger was an acquisition this last off season, right. Drew Smiley was a resign. The other two were deals before, right. And they made a lot of one year deals and then none of them are viable, I think. So, you know, this is a team that's very, very, poor it has been just not good at grabbing those one-year deals to flip at the deadline if they're going to be to be selling and you know this is a team that needs some offensive help um at the major league level as soon as possible you know it's it's got they've they've been trying to plug holes they've been trying to call up young guys it is just not working and i do wonder if you know maybe they're they're a fit for candelaria they've been struggling at third base wisdom's been really really bad uh, since that that stretch in the April where he was you know hitting home runs every day, um, you know, but they're they're not out of it yet. Obviously, they're in a the weak division. It's just I just don't know. And Stroman's maybe the second or third best starting pitcher available here, and 
and very consistent, the type of guy, but they, but he's also expressed interest in, in extending as well. So it's just the kind of thing that all of this stinks to consider. And Cody Bellinger has been hurt and it, it, since he'd been hurt, it's kind of derailed the season. It seems like, so I, I half expect him to sell at this point, but you know, there was rumors already this week that the Padres were going to be interested in Stroman and Gomes together. And that's a, that's a quality package. I mean, you might, you'd probably get something good back for it, but man, I just, I hate thinking about this because it's a team that should be contending like it outright. And they're just not. So we have, we have never seen the Cubs and the Padres do a pitcher and catcher trade. (laughs) (laughs) Another awful trade. This kickstarted all this crap. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at the Cubs, and you know, I, I agree with David. I mean, I, they're a team that I mean, I wasn't as high on their potential to contend, but the division's really bad. And I mean, in some ways, they probably outperformed their record a little bit. They lost a lot of close games. You know, I know that there's been a lot of um, uproar about managerial decisions there, and at times with in close games, the bullpen, and then of course, you know, uh, just some roster decisions they've made. But, I mean, here's the thing. This is the thing with the, with the NL Central, and I probably should have mentioned it when we were talking about the AL Central. What's the reward for this? Because if you're the Cubs, the Reds, the Pirates, the Cardinals, or the, maybe the Cardinals have enough just pure talent, but, like, and then the, then the AL Central, like, you know, do you have a legitimate chance to go on a run in the postseason? And, you know, do you have the talent to win the World Series? Or are you either buying to have an outside chance at winning a bad division and get beaten in the wild card round. Like that, that's kind of the, the thing. Like you're either buying it for an outside chance to get beaten in the wild card round, or you could sell and get yourself ready for next year. Like I, this is this, that's all well and, and good, but the Phillies just went on a run, but the Phillies they, had the, but know. the Phillies had the up the high end talent to do it. Like, I don't think the Cubs have the high end. It, playoff there's also there's also the play the the playoff bonuses to consider right there's stuff to play for it it, the the, the, you know the the advantages of being the division champion right like well yeah i mean uh, yeah and i mean and and preach to free agents in the offseason and i you want to be going the right direction i agree i agree and that's why it's a tough decision because you know you all you do want to win the you do want to win the division I mean, you're and but I yeah, mean, even if how, you're not going to win the World Series, I'd rather win right. the division. So. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying, like, there's it's the incentive, like, we might win the division or we might win the World Series here. Like, I think there's a different level of like, if you truly believe your team is a World Series contender, there's a different level of buying, mm-hmm. even if your record is yeah. not fantastic. Like, yeah, you're not so you're like, not trading Pete Crow Armstrong to to try to win the division, well, right? Like, exactly. That's, like, that's I not mean, the idea, but yeah. And then if you're not gonna try to win the if you're not really sold on winning the division, then you might as well, you know, if you're six games back or whatever, you might as well sell. So yeah. I, I mean, June I, is a very important yeah, month. For the it Cubs. is for for all these for all these teams. It's important yeah. for all these central teams and both both sides because one of them will probably go on a little bit of a run in June and put themselves in a position where you feel like okay, this team's probably going to win the division. Let's see if they can add enough to maybe win a playoff series, you know. But we'll see what happens. So. Yeah. Yeah, and then the um, last couple teams in this division, the Cincinnati Reds, they're five and a half games back in the division, uh, five games back in the wild card. They really don't have many pieces to sell. Um, I mean, maybe they kind of go with the Cardinals and 
part of that infield log jam and potentially move, you know, if it's a India or Senzel or steer or something like that. But um, I, I don't, I don't really see them doing that. And then the pirates, they are leading the division right now. Uh, you would assume they would buy, but if they have a bad month of June, like we're talking about, you know, they have some one year uh, guys, some rental guys that are kind of um, interesting. I mean, we see Carlos Santana seems like he's flipped to every single deadline the past like five years. Um, Rich Hill, Austin Hedges. I mean, there are a couple names, but nothing of, of big time value. If they're going to try and sell, I think they'd more likely stand pat slash buy. Uh, but like you said, it's a very pivotal month for the, those kind of three teams there. And then the Reds, obviously. The Reds are actually in a, in a really good spot. They don't have anything to sell, but they're, they've got a lot of spots on the roster for the young guys. And that's what's, I think, created this, this kind of play that they have where they're letting Matt McClain play. They're letting Ellie De La Cruz play. They're letting all these young guys play. They haven't clogged the roster with veterans that aren't producing at all at this point. Right. And, uh, you know, Will Myers is there, I guess, but you know, the leaders of these teams are like Jonathan India, Joey Votto, Lodolo green and Ashcraft, right? Like this is a team built on its young guys. And that's, I think why it's having surprising success where we kind of pick them to be last in this division, but they've been better than that. Yeah. One thing with the Reds that I would look out for a little bit, you know, they have a logjam of prospects that are either at AAA or are just making their major league debuts on the infield. And they're that sneaky type of team that if they can hang to five or six, five games back ish, you know, like there's a chance that they might even think about, and they probably would do it in the off season because there's really not that guy available. But this is the team that traded for Trevor Bauer several years ago when they were kind of in the same position. And, you know, mid season, everyone was like, what are you doing? Like, because they had a log jam of a couple prospects and they had an opportunity to get a, a guy they really thought was a good pitcher. So, you know, maybe on a non, maybe on a, you know, a, a team, maybe a guy who's not a free agent after this year, they might look at, look, you know, maybe taking a look at buying somebody, but I mean, they don't really have a ton to sell and, and they're going to have that log jam here soon at the, you know, because they got, you know, Christian Encarnacion Strand, they've got Spencer Steer, they've got Ellie De La Cruz, they've got Jonathan India, and they could also just trade somebody like they could trade Jonathan India or somebody like that too, which there'd been a few rumblings about that, but we kind of feel like it's fairly unlikely. I mean, and they also might just move somebody to the outfield or something too, but we'll see what happens there. But uh, this is a team that has a few different options. They could be interesting at the deadline for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's go ahead and jump over to the National League West now, where we have the San Diego Padres at seven games back in the division, four games back in the wild card. Uh, you have the San Francisco Giants, they're five and a half games back in the division, two and a half in the wild card. Uh, and then the Rockies, nine and a half back in the division, six and a half in the wild card. Um, we know we kind of know the Padres aren't going to aren't going to sell. They're going to be buyers big time. Um, the Giants. They, although they probably should end up selling Farhan Zaidi's already came out and said, they're going to look to be aggressive early on the deadline and, and make some deals. Uh, and then the Rockies, they just never trade anybody when they should anyways. So why would we think they would actually trade anybody this time? Yeah. I just, the giants are a sneaky good team right now. Like they're right around 500 and they've kind of had some bad luck this year so far. So, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see them buying in because I mean that right right now the wild card is pretty 
low in the National League. I mean, you're looking at like the Marlins right now. I mean, the Na- Giants are almost undoubtedly a better baseball team than the Marlins. So I would be shocked if they bought, but maybe buy a couple smaller pieces early, see if you can get on a run. But uh, but yeah, the Padres aren't selling. They're they're gonna buy, and they I don't know if they're gonna really be able to go with a big splash buy like they have in the past, but they might. And they're um, they put way too much into this year's roster to not buy. Yeah, and the Rockies are a an organization where we like we said we don't know <laughs> what they're doing. It does make sense for them to finally move off of Charlie Blackman. He's been pretty good this year, and he's the type of guy that could go trans, you know, kind of add to a team that needs a little help at DH or left field. Thinking maybe Matt's Atlanta Braves, right? He mentioned Brant Rooker earlier too, but ultimately, you know, th- their bullpen's been really strong. They could trade some guys out of it and actually pick up some decent prospects, right? I mean, Justin Lawrence has been there for a while. Brad Hands on a one-year deal. Daniel Bard's on a two-year deal, but you know he's been good. And it's just a—they're—they're always going to be question marks when it comes to the Rockies due to that ownership group. And you know, the players are all on kind of longer-term contracts. You wonder if they want to get off of some of that money, but I just it's so hard to figure out what they're doing at any given point because it never, it it seems like their goal is to play 500 ball and they're kind of almost there this year, you know, but that like, why is that their goal? So yeah, I just, yeah, pirate, but Rockies are tough to figure out. Giants and Padres aren't solid, but they're currently out of it right now. So they're going to need to step it up and they're in a tough division to make that happen. Yeah. It, the Rockies are, I mean, like you said, they should trade some relievers, they probably won't because that's what they've they haven't in the past. I mean, they don't really have any position players to trade other than Charlie Blackman, who who knows if they actually trade him or not. Because I mean, they've shown that in the past, ex- with the exception of Nolan Arenado, they just hold on to homegrown players until they're free agents and then let them walk. So, I mean, and, and Charlie Blackman's not really a guy that he's been there for so long that you almost feel like they're probably gonna just hold on to him and let him finish out his year there. Cause they don't feel like they're going to get anything worth getting, you know, trading him for. So, but I mean, I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what the, what they, what the Rockies do. I mean, um, they just, they just really just don't have any position players other than maybe Charlie Blackman to trade at all. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they're a team that they're always going to be around 500 cause it's so hard to win in cores as a visiting team, but it's also extremely hard for the Rockies to win on the road because they're not used to the pitching being different. So, I mean, they're always going to end up winning most of their home games and losing most of their road games. So, but they're, they're weird. Yeah, they're really weird. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, that will, that will pretty much wrap up the uh, trade deadline primer. So it'll be fun to look back here in a couple months after the deadline and see what, you know, what has happened and, and if we were right on some things and if we were wrong on some things, but um, let's go ahead and jump over to player of the week and kind of wrap this show up. So David, who do you have for your player this week? Yeah, a little bit of a week, 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 week for, um, you know, overall players, but I went with David Bednar of the pirates, uh, you know, four saves this week, which is a pretty spiffy number and kept them in, you know, four wins, that keeps them in the division lead in the NL Central right now. So, um, you know, that's big, I think, for the Pirates. They're going to need to continue big performances from guys like Bednar. And 
you know, just and we don't usually highlight a relief pitcher. So I feel like, you know, one, one of the guys that's been one of the best relievers in baseball thus far. And if the Pirates were to sell, he'd probably be one of those guys that would fetch a, a pretty penny on the market at, at this moment. But, uh, you know, with that team leading the division, I just I can't envision them getting rid of a guy like David Bednar. He's been so crucial to their success. You know, their bullpen's been good, and he's a big part of it. So uh, good week for David Bednar, four saves, no one runs. Uh, you know, that's four wins for the Pirates that uh, they keep, you know, that's that's how they're able to stick around is they, they keep banking wins early in the season. And as that slump comes, which it kind of came in May, they're able to, to stick around, and now they're still first in the division. Yeah, I mean, that's I still can't believe the Pirates are still in first place right now. But um, my team, my player that I picked was Chris Bassett. Um, he had a start this week, which was really cool. He pitched, I believe it was seven and two-thirds shutout innings. And, uh, you know, it looked really good. Uh, I believe that was against his former team in the Mets that didn't re-sign him after last year. And uh, so that was that was really cool for him. And then he also, like, during that game, his his wife was going into labor. So... He left the game and immediately went to be with his wife and his and his new uh, new child, which was really cool. So, um, you know, I heard that on a podcast this morning, and I thought that was kind of a cool thing to shout out. He had, a, you know, obviously a seven and two thirds shutout inning start against his former team was worthy of putting him on the uh, players of the week. I felt like so uh, really good, uh, really good on Chris Bassett this week. Yeah, I saw the video of that one where John Schneider like got out and yeah. like sprinted to the mound almost and just like immediately said for the bullpen. And then when he got there, he like reached for the ball and then told him to go be a dad yeah, that was really cool. or something like that, or, or go become a dad for the second time or something like that. So uh, really cool for Bassett. And I, I want to even say that was in New York, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So it was kind of in the old ballpark and everything like that. So really cool week and story for Chris Bassett there, but <clears throat> um, I ended up going with the lone hitter this week, which was kind of surprising. Um, but I, I ended up going with Alex Bregman of the Houston Astros. Uh, this week, he had two homers, two runs, hit nine RBIs, uh, really led the Astros through uh, this week. He'd started off the season really bad, um, but 20% walk rate this week. He, he's always a guy who walks more than he, he strikeouts. Um, hit 417, 553 on base, uh, 237 WRC+. Plus. I mean, what, the top? Five players were tied in war this week. So, I mean, you could have easily picked any of them uh, there. But I just think for a guy who had been struggling this week and then uh, to kind of lead the Astros team with nine RBIs so far this week. And um, I think they had a, a really good series against the Angels. So I ended up going with Alex Bregman. Uh, but you could have picked any of those top kind of five guys and not been wrong. But uh, we should mention Luis Arias, although we mention him all the time on here. His batting average today... Uh, went above 400 for the season, which is incredibly insane to think um, about. And uh, I can't believe that David had him as a guy to worry about when the season started. I did not. Thank you. It was the other guy. Yeah, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Worried about, wait, what? You were worried about <laughs> Luis Arias. I was? Oh, yeah. That I was, thought I uh, remember oh, yeah. saying that no. like, they want, no, they you, were, oh, that trade it was, was going to be a lot more it was, in favor it was, of... It was totally you, Matt. Don't fact check that. Yeah, because, uh, 100%. yeah to, to, totally me who said that I thought the Marlins got a raw deal from the media on that trade because I thought it was a really good trade for them and Rise was really good. No, the, yeah, um, you totally said the opposite. I know for sure. 
worth noting on the Bregman thing that Alex Bregman's down year consists of him walking more than he's striking out and having a 355 on base percentage. So, uh, you know, that's a guy who, who doesn't always get to his power, and that's kind of where he ends up struggling. But it feels like the whole Houston team, other than Jordan Alvarez, hasn't really gotten to its power this year. So, uh, you know, maybe that's a kind of a team-wide thing. I mean, he and Kyle Tucker have the same number of home runs this season, so it's yeah. a, an odd thing thus far. But I think Bregman will be all right. No, yeah, he had started the season – God awful, but the last month he's hit like 317, like 860 OPS. So, um, been the he always does this though every single year, mm-hmm. but um, that's gonna wrap it up. Anything else that you guys want to hit on right before we close it out? Yeah, I just saw or one of y'all sent that Aaron oh, yeah. Judge is going on the IL, so yep. we mentioned him earlier. I think we mentioned that might happen earlier, but yep. um, not good. I hope he's uh hope he comes back soon. Um the Yankees invested a lot of money into him and they thought after these last two years that his injury concerns were gone. And this seems like it was kind of like a freak thing, but um, you know, it's not good to see your guy on your first year of an eight year three hundred and fifty million dollar contract or whatever it was, go on the IL for the second time, so of the season. And uh the Yankees need him to, to do well, so Yeah. Yeah, and um, Luis Arias' 401 batting average is ninth highest by a qualified hitter through team first one first 62 games, um, I think since 1900, and the highest was 422 for Larry Walker in 1997. So uh, historically strong start for batting average for Luis Arias, but he's been an all-around good hitter too and got a good on-base percentage. He's been walking a lot, striking out never. Um, so that's a guy that can... I mean, Damien, give you a stat that you, you mentioned before the, the show, but he, he's been super, super good. And a 400 chase is really uh, cool in this day and age. Yeah, so just to wrap it up, Luis Arias, his career multi-hit games are 150. So he has 150 career multi-hit games, almost a whole full season's worth so far in his career. Uh, and strikeouts, total strikeouts in his career, he has 142. So he has eight more multi-hit games than he does career strikeouts that rocks that's so um, awesome in 2023 which is uh you know notorious for strikeouts the past few years but um anyways that'll wrap it up uh for this week's episode of the bat flip podcast thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you guys back next week